Welcome, everyone, to the new 1001 Sherlock Holmes Stories podcast. Here you'll find a collection of Sherlock Holmes adventures, as well as the best of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's stories. Some from our archives at 1001 Classic Short Stories and 1001 Stories for the Road, and some newly produced, all here for your entertainment. Ah, come on, James. Cheer up. Take a drink. These things happen. Oh, I know. But I didn't think it had ever happened to me. I guess I'm going to live to regret it. My life is simply broken apart. Heck, no, it hasn't. Marriages are breaking up every day. Folk, get over it. Look, I'll tell you what you need. What? You need a complete break, and I've got just the idea. What about a trip to Great Britain, huh? We can rustle up the money somehow. It's Queen Victoria's Jubilee year. In June, they're having a big celebration. Uh, 21st of June is the great day. What say we go over and join in, huh? present the stories of Sherlock Holmes. The Basildon Estate. It was 1887, Queen Victoria's Jubilee year, and the spring was quite perfect. The days were sunny and bright, daffodils bloomed in the parks as workmen became busy cleaning statues and public buildings, and London began to wear a festive air. Sherlock Holmes had just returned from the capitals of Europe, where he'd been working on a case of international importance. He was extremely pleased to be back home and sat for long hours at our windows in Baker Street looking down at the traffic and the people in the street below. Ah, I must admit, it's very pleasant to be back in London and surrounded by all the old familiar things, Watson. One tries not to apply sweeping statements and generalization about other nationalities, but the fact is that the Germans are heavy and humorless, the Italians are excitable and the French unpredictable. The French women do dress better than others and they can make a wonderful meal out of hardly anything at all. I'm glad your stay on the continent makes you appreciate the English homes. Personally, I'm never really happy when I'm abroad. America, well, perhaps is acceptable. Even there, I feel out of place. Right, it's a vast and interesting country, but for the observant, Americans are quite easy to pick out in a crowd. Uh, for instance, Watson, the lady across the road who has just paid off the cabbie of that handsome... Now, she could well be one of our American cousins. Uh-huh. What makes you say that? Well, she's unfamiliar with the currency, you see. The cabbie had to show her which coins were which, so she doesn't live in England. Yet she conversed with him fluently enough, which shows that they've been talking in English. She's smartly and expensively dressed, but she's carrying a large buckskin bag instead of the conventional British handbag. It's attached to a length of rawhide carried from the shoulder. When I was in America last year, I saw many women with those bags. I've never seen an English woman use one. Ah, she's looking at the numbers of the houses. I think Watson had about to have a visitor. What's the betting against her being an American lady? Hmm? Well, she looked quite English to me, but Holmes was right about her visiting us. She walked up the steps with a confident air. The doorbell rang. I remembered it was Mrs. Hudson's day off, so I went down and opened the door. 
I found myself looking into an amazingly bright pair of blue eyes. This, with a mass of black hair over an oval face and gentle smile, created as lovely a picture as I'd seen that spring. She requested an interview with Holmes in a soft American accent. So, Holmes was right again. Up in our sitting room, she introduced herself. My name is Charlotte Basildon. I'm from Boston, the USA. I must thank you very much, Mr. Holmes, for granting me this interview without an appointment. It's my pleasure. You found me at an unusual time. I have nothing important to work upon. I take it that you wish to ask my advice upon some matter of importance. A delicate matter that requires a discreet inquiry, perhaps? Oh, that is quite correct. I am unfamiliar with such procedures in this country. I have, of course, heard of you. And I know that while you have often worked with the police, you are not part of them. And so anything I say will not be repeated. I am most anxious to avoid a scandal. You see, nothing criminal has happened, at least so far. Oh, please, I understand. Tell me what's troubling you. From the very beginning, when your anxiety started, try not to leave anything out, even though it may seem very unimportant. Very well. But it is hard to say when I began to worry. You see, the position is this. My husband is heir to a large estate. He is the great-nephew of Lucas C. Basildon, the Texas cattle millionaire. L.C., as he is popularly known by, has never married. He is now a very old man and quite ill. He has no near relatives except my husband, James, and another great-nephew, Philip. Philip has proved himself just a no-good. He's a wastrel, a knockabout. What we call smart Alec. In fact, the very reverse of my husband. Mm, I see. Carry on. James is a very independent man. When young, he scorned Elsie's wealth and influence and went up to Australia to make his own way. The family lost touch with him. So much so that they assumed he was dead. During this time, Philip led a life of ease and luxury. He got into debt. But his prospects were extremely good. He was to inherit Elsie's vast estate. He went to a moneylender and raised a huge sum of money. He speculated. And with his usual carelessness, lost most of it. And then your husband returned from the dead, as it were? Quite. You realize what this means, Mr. Holmes? Oh, yes. Being the eldest and nearest, he's able to claim the estates when... Lucas C. Basildon dies. Phillips will be out in the cold. And the moneylender will have absolutely no chance of getting that vast sum plus interest back again. So this means between the moneylender and his money, there only stands your husband's life. Uh, proceed, please. Well, old Elsie is very ill. The doctors hold out very little hope. And, well, the fact is that I am convinced that during the next few days, an attempt will be made upon my husband's life. And the attempt will be made here, in London. Hmm. Your husband is in London. Do you know where he's staying? No, but he is here. He came over with a man called Peter Cottrell. Peter Cottrell is in the pay of Amos Feltman, the moneylender. James does not know this. He thinks Peter is a good friend. When James and I agreed to separate, Peter saw his chance. He comforted James and suggested this trip to England. Since I left my husband, I have found out many things. One is that Peter Cockrell stands to gain $20,000 if the estate goes to Philip and not James. In other words, $20,000 is the blood money the moneylender will pay him to kill James. Uh, I see. And James thinks Peter is his best friend. A very nasty trap. But forewarned is forearmed. All we have to do is to find your husband. Have you any means of identification? Oh, I have a photograph of my husband. It is here in my bag. Here it is. And on the back is his name and address in Boston. That is our old address. 
I am staying at the Westbury Hotel in New Bond Street. You can reach me there anytime. Please. Please, Mr. Holmes. You will see what you can do to help me. Won't you? Very well, Mrs. Battleton. I will try to help you. Thank you. I I would stress the fact that I don't wish the police or the newspapers to know about this. It would create a dreadful scandal. And that would easily find its way back to the state. I quite understand it. I shall see what I can do. Now, may I offer you coffee before my friend Watson calls a cab to take you back to your hotel? Have no fear. We shall be in touch quite soon. I saw Charlotte Basildon out and into a handsome cab. I could tell she was most grateful to Holmes, but not at all sure of his chances of success. I was anxious to resume the rounds of my patients, but I had to ask Holmes what he intended to do about this most curious case. I shall, of course, first check all the fashionable hotels along the park and Piccadilly. The two visitors, Peter Cottrell and James Basildon, will be using their own names. Cottrell dare not do otherwise for fear of rousing his friend's suspicions. They will also be using a bank near at hand. One cannot live without money, especially on a trip from America. They should be quite easy to trace. Yes, I shall find them all right. And then? Then I think I shall take a stroll through Soho. If Peter Cottrell is over here with the express intention of killing his best friend, then he will not do the killing himself. He'll hire someone to do the job for him. And that is why I shall seek out our man known as Raoul the Ferret. Raoul the Ferret? Extraordinary name. Yes, he's an extraordinary man. I think I know just where to find him. Excuse me now, Watson. There's much work to do. Hey, hey, watch it. Watch where you're going. Oh, it weren't my fault. You should keep your feet yourself. Oh, is that so? Now, you look here. If you want to make anything of it, get out of this crowd. Yes, that's not a bad idea, Raoul. I don't think we can talk very comfortably in this noise. Let's move down the side street. What the wife? It isn't Mr. Sherlock Holmes. That's correct. I haven't seen you for some months. Are you busy? So, so, so. Why? I can accommodate you if it's worthwhile, of course. What's it this time? Information? Of course. I've reason to believe that an American gentleman by the name of James Basildon is about to meet his end here in London. He's staying at the Grosvenor House Hotel with another American, Peter Cottrell. Cottrell is the man who is behind the assassination. He must be looking for someone to do the job. Heard any rumors, Ron? None at all. Well, I could ask a few questions. I should be very grateful. And my client will pay handsomely. Here, this is a photograph of the intended victim. Uh, uh, Grosvenor House Hotel, you say? Yes, that's correct. But you'll have to move very quickly. In the inquiries I made this morning, the two men are due to leave for a tour of Scotland within the next two days. They're only booked in at the hotel until the day after tomorrow. I know that Cottrell went to his bank at noon today and changed a thousand American dollars into British sovereigns. Now, this would be the payment for the killing. Mm. Well, that's all the money talks, eh? Well, if there's any talking going on, I'll make sure I hear it. <coughs> now, worry, Mr. Holmes, if there's a job being planned, then I shall find out all about it. Good. But as I say, you must move fast. If Cottrell has the ready cash, and if they're moving out the day after tomorrow, then it's clear that the murder is planned for tomorrow night. Get to work, Ralph. Live up to your name. Ferret it out, and quit. I was extremely busy for the rest of that day, and saw little of Holmes, who seemed quite preoccupied, and didn't mention the Basil and Estate case at all, even over breakfast the next morning. But at lunchtime, when I came back to Baker Street, there was a rather scruffy-looking man loitering around the steps of 221B. He inquired after Holmes, and said his name was Raoul, and he had something of importance to impart. I knew immediately what it was about, and showed him up to our rooms. There, over a tasty luncheon of bubble and squeak, Raoul the ferret told us all he'd uncovered. How's it to be tonight, uh, Mr. Holmes? The man is doing the job is uh, Diggs Baker. 
Learn to have received a hundred quid in advance, and the balance is uh, when it's all over. Yes. Where and how, Ralph? Somewhere in Greek Street, uh, outside one of the restaurants, I think. Which one? I don't know. Diggs is one of his favourite hangouts. A place known as Aristos is the most likely. Can't tell you the, 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 the time either, but uh, could be any time between eight o'clock and midnight. Yes, that's the matter. The later, the better. I doubt if it'll be before nine. Good work, Ralph. Now, here is what I wish you to do. You'll find someone to give you a hand, as this cannot be stopped without plenty of help. I need three men to create a street scene. Now listen very carefully. Having enlisted these men, you will arrange to patrol Greek Street from 8 o'clock onwards. Station yourself outside, Aristos, and I shall arrive to give you final instructions. Now don't worry, there'll be no police interference and as little trouble as possible. Now, finish up the bubble and squeak. There's a lot for us to do. Uh, Watson, I take it that you'll have completed your day's work by six o'clock and will be willing to join in the evening's activity? <laughs> if you try to prevent me, there'll be trouble, Holmes. <laughs> Good. Very well. We shall meet later, and from seven o'clock onwards, we shall be outside the Grosvenor House Hotel. Yes, it could be a very long and quite dangerous evening, so both of you come prepared. I found it hard to concentrate while my work for the rest of that afternoon... I simply couldn't see how Holmes could prevent an underworld crime of this magnitude without a sensation and perhaps bloodshed. However, I agreed to pocket my service revolver when we left Baker Street, and in the warmth of that April evening, I stood with Holmes opposite the Grosvenor Hotel. It's a good job the evening's so mild, Holmes. At least we can sit on one of the park benches without arousing curiosity. Yes, 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 that is fortunate. Uh, but can't you tell me... What to anticipate? I mean, what form do you think this murder plot will take? I can't say. I am, however, fairly sure that Peter Cottrell will not be actively involved. That means that James Basildon will somehow be lured into Soho. Yes, that's why we're watching, Watson. If only we knew what was taking place at this very moment between those two men, we should have a clearer idea of how to go about things. I'm only sure that Peter Cottrell is about to put his deadly plan into action. Basildon will, of course, not suspect a thing. I'm sorry that I have to go out straight away, James, but uh, I must try to fix up this unexpected business with an export firm. Oh, I thought you'd done all that. Well, I couldn't finalize it till after hours. Look, it won't take long. Look, I have a table booked at Aristos for 8 o'clock. It's that great little place in Soho. You know, we went there a couple of nights back. Why don't you go there? I'll join you as soon as I fix things up. No, I can wait here. As a matter of fact, I, I don't care if we don't go out at all. Oh, come on. It's our last night in London until Jubilee Day, and then the city will be crowded. We can have a leisurely meal and maybe fix ourselves up with a couple of girls. <laughs> There's some great lookers around Aristos. Oh, no, I, I kind of dislike that casual stuff. Ever since I left Charlotte, I... Well, I've been thinking I made a mess of my love life. Oh, no. Come on, at least let's have a decent meal out. We came over here to cheer you up, remember? Oh, oh all right. I'll meet you at the restaurant at 8 o'clock. But don't keep me waiting there too long, will you, Pete? I'll be there just as soon as I can. I'll go order you handsome right now. See you later, James. And don't flirt with too many girls till I get there. There, Watson. See? The handsome cab that is waiting. That is Peter Cottrell getting into it. Quickly, take the other cab and follow him. Stay near him and report back to me in Greek Street as soon as you find out where he is. Now hurry now, Watson, hurry. I did as I was told, and it was a most curious experience. For nearly an hour, my cabby followed Cottrell's handsome about the streets of London. Had I not known otherwise, I should have thought the man was simply on a sightseeing tour. We trotted our way round the Tower of London, St. Paul's and the Embankment, and along to Buckingham Palace, before ending back in Park Lane, where Cottrell alighted at the Grosvenor Hotel again. He had clearly simply been killing time. It was eight o'clock. I inquired from the hotel reception and was told that Mr. Cottrell had just come in 
and Mr. Basildon had left half an hour before. I took the hansom to Greek Street. Ah, there you are, Watson. What's your news? Cottrell left me a rare chase all over London, stopping nowhere, just riding about until he ended up back at the hotel. Yes, that's much as I anticipated. Meanwhile, Basildon is in that restaurant. I've been in and he's sitting at a table in a corner and looking very annoyed. Also in the restaurant is the man Raoul the Ferret, as identified as Diggs Baker. Gracious Holmes, you're supposing the killing takes place in there? Not in a district like this, Watson. Restaurants are particular about keeping their custom. No, it will, it'll be when Basildon leaves the place. He's unwise enough to walk towards Soho Square to find a cab, as is most likely. The Diggs will almost certainly follow. A scuffle, a flash of a knife, and then it will all be over. Yes, but, but what do we do? Uh, look across the road near the entrance. Raoul and some friends are ready. So... So is that waiting three-wheeler. Ah, there's some movement. Come on, Watson. Battledon's about to leave. We must get to him before Diggs Baker does. Come on. Well, evening, sir. Nice evening. You've been eating a cab, sir. Oh, no, thank you. I shall walk. Oh, I wouldn't do that, sir. Not if I was you. It's dangerous. Much better to come with me. This way, if you please. Oh, dear. I guess you want trouble, and so... No, no, that ain't wiser. Come on, come on, The street suddenly seemed filled with activity. Three men seized James Basildon, and within seconds a pad of chloroform was placed over his face. The cab moved forward. Raoul, Holmes and I clambered in beside the half-unconscious form of Basildon, and we set out at a spanking pace for Baker Street. Once in our rooms, Basildon was given a heavy sleeping draught, and I was told to watch over him. Holmes left once again, and I guessed he was going to interview the man who had caused all this trouble, Peter Cottrell. You are Peter Cottrell? That is correct. Who are you? How dare you force your way into this hotel room? My name is Sherlock Holmes. You're lucky to be dealing with me and not with our Metropolitan Police or even Scotland Yard. What are you talking about? Get out of here. No, no, no. You are the person who is going to get out. Get out of the country and keep out. I'd also advise you to stay away from your home in America and the clutches of Amos Feltman, the moneylender, in whose pay you have been for many months. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. How dare you accuse me of having dealings with moneylenders? Now, stop blustering, Cottrell. James Basildon knows the truth. We have proof of your activities and Philip Basildon's debts have been made public back in Boston. I'm offering you your one chance to escape from the charge of attempted murder. The man Diggs Baker is prepared to give evidence. Now, will you listen to reason? What, what, what are you going to do? Nothing, if you obey my instructions. You still have a reasonable amount of money in your account at the bank. Tomorrow you will withdraw it all and buy a ticket on the next packet steamer for France. Once there, you will quietly disappear. If you appear again either in London or Boston, I will have you arrested. The choice is yours. Either make your own way somewhere else in the world or face ruin and imprisonment. Well, Cottrell, what do you say? Holmes returned surprisingly early and related all that had occurred. James Basildon was fast asleep in the spare room. I kept the adjoining door open during the night in case he woke, but he didn't. It was quite late the next morning when he opened his eyes. Oh, 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 oh my head. Where the devil am I? Uh, you've woken up at last. That is good. How do you feel? Oh, who the heck are you? What am I doing here? I, I haven't been asleep. I've been drugged. I remember now. I was in that restaurant in Greek Street. I came out and I was attacked. Now, I demand an explanation for it. How dare you hold me here against my will? You are not being held against your will. You have been brought here for your own good. There was a plot against you. You're a very lucky man, Mr. Basildon. Plot against me? What the devil are you talking about? And I... 
How do you know my name? What does all this mean? I not only know your name, I know all about you. Your failed marriage, your dying uncle, your trip to Europe. I also know more about you than you know yourself. Oh, stop talking nonsense. If I'm being held here against my will, and kindly order me a cab and let me return to my hotel. Perhaps my friend Peter Cottrell can sort this out. Your friend Peter Cottrell is not at the Grosvenor House Hotel. And you will be surprised to hear that he is not your friend, but your most deadly enemy. Now, Mr. Basildon, you rise and don a dressing gown? Over a good old-fashioned English breakfast of eggs and bacon and Indian tea, I will explain to you in great detail how you are now still living and able to enjoy life on the Basildon estate. At first, James Basildon was reluctant to accept our hospitality. But he could see that neither Holmes nor I were the criminals he first took us to be. He was a very puzzled man as he sat at our dining table and toyed with breakfast as Holmes went over the case from the very beginning. As Holmes told the tale, the skepticism gradually faded from Basildon's face, and an expression of wonderment grew in his eyes. The disbelief vanished when Holmes explained that his wife had brought the investigation about, and that it was through her love and loyalty that Cottrell's treachery had been exposed. I was forced to do a little bluffing in the end. Of course, I told Cottrell that I had proof of his dealings with Amos Feltman, the money dealer. I hadn't. I told him also that your cousin Philip's debts were well known. They aren't. I also told him that Diggs Baker was prepared to give evidence against him. He isn't. In fact, Diggs is getting off extremely well with 100 pounds in cash for a crime he wasn't able to commit. Unfortunately, we cannot bring him to book. Not this time. But his type will be caught eventually, before he does another killing, I hope. But if he goes free, at least you are free also. Mr. Holmes, Dr. Watson, if all you say is true, then I am forever in your debt. I owe you my life. It still seems quite incredible that Peter Cottrell could have, well, deceived me in such a fashion, but I suppose I have to face the facts. I guess I've been just plain stupid. I should have listened to my wife. Yes, yes, I think you should. But she's still at the Westbury Hotel, not far from here. When you've finished your breakfast, perhaps you'd like to take a cab round there? Ah, I most certainly will. Thank you, again, both of you. Is there anything else I can do for you? Well, there is one thing. I guess I'll never get used to drinking tea. Do you think I might beg a cup of strong coffee before I go? Listen again next Sunday to The Stories of Sherlock Holmes with Graham Armitage's Holmes and Kerry Jordan as Dr. Watts. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. 
Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Well, Holmes, Watson, this is a great pleasure for me to welcome you to the Villa Bartique here at Le Palais. I hope your stay on the island will be both comfortable and interesting. May you have a wonderful holiday, my friends. Thank you, Andre. Your very good health and, and many thanks, Monsieur Lurian. Oh, Andre, please. I'm only too proud that the Belle Isle has... Monsieur, Monsieur Herb, the yacht, the Grey Goose, the captain sent me. The owner, Henry Buckley, he is sitting at the desk in his cabin, and he is dead. Present the stories of Sherlock Holmes. The Grey Goose. Sherlock Holmes and I were taking one of our very rare holidays abroad together. It was in the summer of 1883, and the weather was glorious. Holmes had just finished an international case in Geneva, in which he had managed to greatly help André Lorient, a French diplomat and businessman. Lorient showed his gratitude in practical terms, part of which was to press an invitation upon Holmes and me to visit his villa at Le Palais on the Belle Isle. That comparatively little-known island in the Bay of Biscay was, in those days, quite unspoiled. And we were out to enjoy ourselves enormously. When, that lunchtime, a sailor from a British yacht lying at anchor out in the harbour came with an urgent request for help. As we were rowed from the shore, Andre Lorient explained. Uh, the yacht I have is the Grey Goose. Uh, she is owned by Henri Barclay. You may have heard of him. Quite a rich man. In similar business to myself. He married a French girl, Marcel. They sell these waters quite regularly as the Barclays have a house in Nantes. The captain of the Grey Goose is French, Yves Sarnal. There is a crew of three with Marcel and the uh, male secretary. Mm, she's a fine-looking yacht. You know this man Barclay well? Mm, reasonably well. Uh, I'm surprised to hear that he has died so suddenly. Although many years older than his wife, he always appeared in excellent health. But perhaps the captain can tell us the nature of the illness. I'm very glad you are with us, Watson. We are rather isolated on the island and have no skilled medical help. I shall be happy to be of service to Madame Barclay. Well, here we are. Uh, the captain is waiting for us. Come. Yeah, monsieur, I help you. Uh, after you, Holmes. Uh, Watson. Thank you. We climbed aboard the Grey Goose and found the captain waiting for us. After the necessary introductions, he showed us down a small companionway into the master cabin. It was furnished as a comfortable lounge, but also had the air of a businessman's office. Our attention was immediately focused upon the desk. Sprawled across it was the body of Henry Barclay. His face was contorted in a death agony. His hands extended as though to clutch the sides of the writing blotter. Nothing has been disturbed, Monsieur Lorient. The moment I was told of this, I locked the cabin door and sent ashore for you. 
I knew that you had two Englishmen staying with you. This yacht is registered in Great Britain, therefore it is British property. It has to be reported to the correct authorities that its owner has died. I understand. Mr. Sherlock Holmes is a very famous detective. Uh, there will be no difficulties. He will take charge from now on. Oh, good. Uh, meanwhile, uh, I understand the good doctor, he can make the examination? Yes, of course, if you wish me to. It must have been a heart attack. If you will please, doctor. Uh, one moment before you touch the body, Watson. May I make a few observations? To start with, I see that Mr. Barclay appeared to be writing a letter. May I... Uh, gently now, Watson. Let me slide the letter out under the outstretched hands. Yes, it appears to be a business letter addressed to the manager of Stewart Bank, London. It reads, Dear Mr. Mortimer, I've been going through my accounts and find from my passbook that I have three cheques cashed for £500 each. I cannot recollect ever having drawn this money on those days. They are cash-to-bearer cheques, enclosed as the bank's statement with the withdrawals concerned after the cross. As I should be in Nantes for some months, I should be obliged if you would inquire through your clerks who cashed those cheques. That's if it's possible to trace the person in question. I'm sure there has been some... Oh, here the letter breaks off. That's interesting. So this, this is what he was writing when the so-called heart attack took place. So it would appear. I, um, I think I should like to ask a few questions from the crew and your secretary before reporting this officially, Captain. Uh, can you tell me how you came to be here, the purpose of this trip? It is what we do every year. We leave Southampton and cruise down to the Mediterranean. Always we call in at Nantes to stay for a while at the house. But uh, sometimes, if the weather is particularly fine, as it is now, we take our time and call in at the Berlin. Our voyage here was uneventful. We anchored here early, having arrived outside the harbor at dawn. None of us has been ashore. At about 11 o'clock, Mr. Barclay came down here to his cabin, giving orders that he was not to be disturbed until lunchtime. At noon, his steward knocked at the door with a tray of drinks. He entered. Mr. Barclay was writing, and he left the tray and went out. At one o'clock, he returned to say that the lunch was ready, and he found a, a body, just as you see it. No one else has been in or out? Not to my knowledge. Very well. Well, I suggest we leave my good friend Watson to conduct his examination without interruption. Will I have a talk to the steward and the secretary? Uh, will that be convenient? Oui, of course. Good, then, uh, lead on. Excuse us, Watson. Uh, will you join us in the saloon when you're finished? Uh, yes, very well. I, I shouldn't be longer than half an hour. Thank you, Arthur. Proceed, Captain. They left the cabin, and I was able to apply myself to the task ahead. I'd seen many dead men in my time and treated many sufferers of heart complaints. One look at the dead man's face told me it was not as straightforward as the captain thought. But I was careful not to jump to conclusions. I checked and rechecked as Holmes was taken out to question the cabin steward at some length. And then... It is just as I told you, Monsieur Holmes. I prepare Monsieur Barclay's drink tray as usual. I take it in, and he looks at it, and he points to the table. I place it down and leave. Hmm. What was he doing at the time? Was he at the desk? Which table did you use? Oh, he was writing at the desk. The table was the one under the starboard window. It is not a porthole, you understand. It, it opens out onto the deck. Uh, was the window or porthole open? Oh, we, we, we. The weather like this and that anchor, um, natural. Oh, uh, Captain, I am sorry to interrupt, but uh, this is important. You must know. It wasn't heart failure that killed Mr. Barclay. He was poisoned. Poisoned? Huh? By what exact poison, I do not yet know. But I'm sure it was administered to him by means of a drink. Poisoned? But uh, who could have done such a thing? I think that is what we are here to find out. Uh, might I suggest we return to the cabin? 
I take it that you locked the door, Watson? Yes, sir. I have the key. Uh, very well, Stuart. We shall not require you again at the moment. Please see that no one goes ashore. Uh, very good, dear Captain. Perhaps I might interview the secretary in there. Could that be arranged also, Captain? We returned to the cabin, and as we reached it, a tall, slender figure came striding down the companionway. It was the secretary, and to my utmost surprise, I found I knew him. Well, Dayton, David Dayton, surely James Dayton, sir. Good heavens, Doctor Watson, my father's old friend. Gracious me, what are you doing here, sir? Well, Sherlock Holmes and I are staying with Monsieur Loyon on the island, and we were sent for in connection with Mister Barclay's death. Uh, you, his secretary? Yes, that's right. I've been with him for a couple of years now. He found me useful because it's a British yacht and a French crew. Henry himself couldn't have been more English. His wife is French. And as my mother was French and I speak both languages equally well, I... Well, I fit in rather well. Or rather, I did until this happened. It wasn't luck. A heart attack is the last thing I thought would have happened. It wasn't a heart attack, David. He was poisoned. You can't mean that. Poisoned? No. Has anyone told Mrs. Barclay? No, no, we have only just found out ourselves. I need confirmation. Uh, there should be a post-mortem. But I'm prepared to stake my reputation that it was poisoned. The steward knows, and therefore I think it's fair to assume that the rest of the crew know. Uh, might I suggest that you're the best person to break this news to Mrs. Barclay, Captain? That should be good enough to do so straight away. And would you care to come inside, Mr. Dayton? I should like to ask you a few questions. Yes, yes, of course. I think you said that you've been in Barclay's employ for two years. Well, you must know his affairs extremely well. Who has charge of all his private papers, money, things like that? Uh, Captain, that's safe. It's hidden behind the picture on the wall over there. Look, I'll, I'll show you. Here. Now, there, the, the safe has a special lock. I have a key, and there's one on his watch chain. It's a special lock. Difficult to open unless you know how. No one else knows how to open that but Henry and myself. I see. And his bank statements, empty check stubs, that sort of thing? Mm, they're all in the safe. I saw them there myself only a few days ago. Mm, I see. Uh, would you mind opening the safe for me, please? Of course. Although I can't really see why. I think it is most important. Excuse me. You are Mr. Holmes and Dr. Watson? I am Marcel Barclay. I met the captain. He told me the news. Is it true? Henri was killed? It was not a natural death? I'm afraid it is true, yes. Then you must find the person who poisoned him. Find him quickly, so that he too may die. I do not care what steps you take or how much money is involved, but you must find out who killed my husband. And when you do, I shall take my revenge. Barclay was very clearly a French woman. She was extremely beautiful, dark hair and blue eyes that looked straight at you quite fearlessly. She seemed more angry than distressed by the news of her husband's death. She informed Holmes that she'd be in her cabin if he needed to speak to her, and then, with a long, inscrutable look at the body of her dead husband, she turned on her keel and left us. Holmes, after making sure the safe was unlocked, asked us to leave him while he searched the cabin. I found myself alone with David Dayton. I'm sorry we have to meet in these dreadful circumstances, Dr. Watson. I find it all quite bewildering. You can throw no light on it at all. 
I mean, it's clear that your late employer was poisoned between the hours of 12 and 1 o'clock. Mm-hmm. You mean that's when he took the drink? The steward took in the tray at that time. He always did. But if the poison was in the gin or the tonic, surely an examination of the contents of the bottles will show this. Sherlock Holmes will find that out. Have no fear. Of course, if the poison was simply sipped in bits of glass while he was unaware... Mm, but it's... no one visited the captain except the steward. You sure? And I'm sure of myself, of course. I was sunning myself up on deck. Mrs. Barclay was there for part of the time. Then she went to change for lunch. <sighs> Doctor, this is... This is terrible. I mean, why would anyone wish to see Henry dead? I think Holmes will be asking you that question, David. After all, next to his wife, you must have known the man better than anyone else. Yes. Yes, I suppose I did. Well, I think that there's no need for a post-mortem to confirm your theories, Watson. Or to tell us the type of poison that was used to kill Henry Barclay. Here, look at this. Hmm? Small file. It's got a label with words scrawled across it. I can't read it very well. It says Amakara. It's a South American poison used by the Brazilian Indians. It's quite rare, but very deadly. I found it hidden away at the back of the safe in his cabin. That's what killed him, all right. But how? I mean, well, I don't understand. Two or three drops of this in the bottom of the glass. The drinks tray was placed as usual on the table in front of the open window porthole that looked out onto the deck. Anyone who was passing outside could have reached in and tipped the poison into the glass. I see. But then... But who could have done it? Well, anyone who passed along the deck. This file was hidden behind a book labeled Ship's Cash Account. Do you keep the cash account, Staten? Yes. Yes, of course I do. And no one but you and the dead man could get into the safe? Well, that's right, but... but... Look here. Are you trying to say that it was me? That, that I poisoned Henry? I'm not saying anything at the moment. I'm merely asking questions and gathering information. From that information, I shall sift the data, and then I shall be able to make statements. Uh, Jeremy, are you aware of the contents of this letter? Well, what is it? And it must have been the last thing your employer ever wrote. It's to his bank back in England, querying certain cash checks. Also in the safe was this balance sheet from the bank, which has the items marked in red ink. Three checks of £500 each. The letter says that Barclay doesn't remember authorising those withdrawals or signing those checks. Mm. Let me see that. But, but I withdrew these cash amounts. You admit it? Of course I do. I was asked to make them. Henry asked me to do so. I made the withdrawals and took the cash and gave it to him straight away. What did he do with the money? How do I know? He must have had a reason for wanting the cash. I suppose he spent it. But if that is so, why write the letter? Three lots of 500 pounds. And he can't recall cashing those amounts, so it doesn't make sense. Look, none of this makes sense. The way things are looking at the moment, it all points to me, doesn't it? The file hidden away, the bank book, the missing money, and, and I cashed it. But I didn't do these things. You've got to believe me, Mr. Holmes. I didn't do it. What motive could I have had? I don't know. One final question, Dayton. What are your feelings for Marcel Barclay? Are they strictly platonic or of a somewhat romantic? They are strictly those of a servant and his employer's wife. There is nothing at all between us. And if you think that is a motive for me becoming mixed up in murder, then you're very mistaken. Now, please, may I go now? David Dayton moved away. I stared at Holmes. I simply could not believe that the young man who was the son of my old friend James Dayton could be a murderer. Holmes gestured to me to follow him, and we both made our way up onto the deck. And there, leaning against the rail, we looked out across the water to the vastness of the Bay of Biscay. Holmes was silent. Eventually, I could bear it no longer. 
Oh, Herbs, this is impossible. Great heavens, I, I know Dayton's family. They're decent, civilized people, good citizens. There's never been the slightest scandal in their family. I simply can't believe that David is involved in all this. Oh, he's involved, all right, Watson. That's clear enough. But, but, you don't think he killed Barclay, do you? I mean, I mean, I mean why? What's the motive? Well, it could be money. We know that 1,500 pounds is suspected of being stolen. Yes, but David explained all that. He said it was at Barclay's request. He hasn't got the money. Well, there's no proof of that, Watson. When a man is arrested and stands trial, he has to produce facts. Holmes, it sounds as though you've already made up your mind that he's guilty. Oh, certainly not, Watson. Quite the reverse. I'm sure he is innocent. What? Why? I, I, I mean, you've been talking of facts. The facts are all against him. You... you... You've made them all fit in. On the contrary, Watson. There are a few simple facts that do not fit in at all. To start with, the poison. It's a very rare Brazilian poison, not much known in Europe. Now, according to the log, this yacht last visited Brazilian waters four years ago, just after Barclay married Marcel. Dayton was not with them at the time. I don't see how that file could have come into his possession. And another fact is, of course, why was the file hidden in the safe behind the cash book? If Dayton had used the poison... Surely he would have thrown the pile overboard, broken it, destroyed the evidence. Uh, yes, well, that is, unless there was more poison in the file, if he wished to use it again. Ah, you saw the file, it was empty. And of course there is the timing. The poison was put into the dead man's glass, and yet, after using it, someone put it back into the safe. But quite impossible. No, 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 Watson. There has been an extremely complicated plot to kill Barclay and place the guilt on Dayton. And that bears investigation. Holmes, uh, I... I am literally and figuratively all at sea. Well, what, what's it all about? What happens now? Uh, I have a short talk to Madame Barclay, and then we leave for the island. Don't worry, Watson. Your young friend will not hang for a crime he did not commit. Excuse me, I shall be but a few minutes. There is very little else I can tell you, Monsieur Holmes. I cannot throw any light upon the matter that you have raised. I know no reason for my husband being killed. I know no one would wish to kill him or benefit from his death. I am sorry I cannot help you. Please, will you excuse me now? I am still very upset. Of course, I understand. Oh, uh, one final question. Your own relationship with David Dayton? You were friendly, that is all? <laughs> like all Englishmen, you think that the French wives are always unfaithful to their husbands. The answer is, there is no emotional involvement. David did at one time show some interest in me. I quietly told him that I was in love with my husband, and that was that. I even told Henri about it. We laughed together. That is all. There was no trouble, no intrigue. Thank you, madame. That will be all. Shortly after that, Holmes made arrangements to leave the Grey Goose. The body of Henry Barclay had been removed by dinghy to the island, and we were then rowed ashore. There followed a very busy and tedious afternoon and evening. It wasn't until after dusk that Holmes made a sudden announcement. Andre, uh, Watson, are you prepared to put an end to this case? But, uh, of course, Holmes. Uh, what do you intend doing? Returning to the Grey Goose under cover of darkness. You have a boat. Will you row us over to the yacht straight away? Yes, yes, of course. Of course, I will. Come then. We must be very secretive. No noise, not at any time. Dress with black clothing and wear your softest shoes. Quickly and quietly. That is our motto for this evening. Come. André Lorient was just as bemused as I was, but we obeyed all instructions. And with muffled oars, André rowed us back across the stretch of water to the yacht. Climbing aboard was not easy, but we managed it without arousing the crew. And then... 
Be careful, Watson. Right. This way, I think. There are lanterns glowing in the main cabin. Careful. Porthole window is, is open. Yes, you allow Holmes and the police to, to draw the obvious conclusions. I will remain silent about what I know, unless you agree to stay with me now that he is gone. Uh, you agree? Our love affair is over. Finished? No. No. Oh, don't you see, my darling? This is the most wonderful opportunity. Stay with me. We will marry. You will be the master of this yacht. I will share everything with you. We will be together. For always. No, Master. This is all you're doing, wasn't it? All yours. What? No. No, of course not. You cannot think that. I would never have killed Henri. Then? Well, then I don't understand. David, you were his secretary. You knew there were financial difficulties. But even you didn't know the extent of his failure and his disappointment. And, of course, he knew about us. That is why he did it. He did it? Of course. He knew he'd lost me. He couldn't go on without me and his security. He took his own life. Poison. He hid the file. Questioned the cash that he asked you to collect. Made it look like murder. And the murder you committed. Oh, yes. But you can prove this? Oh, yes. And I promise I will speak. But only if you promise to stay with me and marry me. Well, David... What do you say? Don't say anything, Dayton. We have heard all we need to know. I think you will have to tell the truth without any conditions now. Don't you, madame? And so, with André and myself as witnesses, Marcel Barclay broke down and told the whole story. David Dayton was completely cleared of all suspicions. The police from the mainland were called in, and the truth, but only the truth of the suicide, was explained to them. What happened to Marcel, and whether she would have gone through with it and allowed her lover to hang for her husband's death, is a matter of speculation. But, as Holmes said... It is impossible to buy love and affection, Watson. Even more impossible to buy loyalty. And thank goodness it has ended as it has. If those two had stayed together, it would have ended in an even greater tragedy. How glad I am that such things do not enter into my life of detection. Ah, well, let us forget the most unsavory case, Watson... And enjoy the rest of the holiday, shall we? Listen again next Sunday to The Stories of Sherlock Holmes with Graham Armitage's Holmes and Kerry Jordan as Dr. Watson. Trust you're enjoying the morning papers, Watson? Mm hmm. Oh, uh, yes, yes. Oh, uh, would you like to have them, Holmes? No, not yet. I'm busy on my correspondence. Uh, this is interesting. Listen. Dear Mr. Holmes, I'm most anxious to have your advice on a most important event. I was present at the White and Milton auction of coins yesterday and became involved in what might be a serious charge. May I call upon you tomorrow morning at nine o'clock? I shall understand if I'm not granted an interview and hope for another appointment. Yours faithfully, Evelyn Summerhays. Oh, Evelyn Summerhays. Name sounds vaguely familiar. Uh, man or woman, Holmes? And the name's popular with both sexes at the moment. The letter's typewritten, which could mean a woman. The signature is made with a firm flourish, which could be a man's. 
Well, we shall just have to wait and see, shan't we? Uh, pass the newspaper now, please, Watson. Present the stories of Sherlock Holmes. The auction of an Oxford crowd. <laughs> 